Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. I'm your chairperson, Georgia Kirk, joined as always by Guy Remons and Gary Fletcher of EHE Capital. And this week, Guy and Gary are here to speak about unique ability and unique ability teams. Unique ability is a concept originally by Dan Sullivan and Julia Waller of Strategic Coach that helps individuals, teams and whole organisations become happier and more productive in their work. So Gary's going to kickstart this episode. Gary, over to you. Thank you, Georgia. I suppose we've got to start with what is unique ability? Succinctly, it's everyone has something they are uniquely brilliant at. And I think it's uncovering that. Dan, and actually, I think it was Catherine Nomura put the process together that is quite unique in itself in the marketplace of how to uncover your own unique ability. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. When you work in your unique ability, it's like you don't feel like it's work. And I've got some experience of this because I, I, I now operate probably about 98% of the time in my unique ability. And it never feels like it's work and you can do it forever because you like it and enjoy it. You enjoy your work and you get paid more as well. So it's quite worthwhile pursuing your unique ability. And I think the sad point is, as many people, probably 95% of the population never understand what theirs is. And I've got examples of people in their 50s and 60s who are still not working in their unique abilities. And that can be quite stressful in the workplace. So finding your unique ability is quite important. Some people do it naturally, not very many, less than 5%. What's the process? I'll quickly step through the process and then perhaps ask Guy if he can share what his unique ability is and a bit of his experience. The start of it is you do Strengths Finder. This is all in a book, by the way, called Unique Ability 2.0, which you can purchase from Amazon. I think it's £45, but it's well worth that investment in yourself. So the first part is you do a Strengths Finder test, which is online. It takes about 20 minutes, and that uncovers your top five strengths. One of the challenges, I think, in the world is we all focus on weaknesses, an individual's weaknesses, and, and that's not the right thing to do. You need to build on your strengths. So that will identify top five strengths and an explanation with them. Second step is what is called the Colby A Index. This is an American wonderful lady called Kathy Colby who devised this, which really is your natural instinct. And anyone who's used Colby in the workplace or in any business, everyone always says it never gets it wrong. And I would say probably 50 times I've used it. And every single one of the people who've done it have said, that's me. That's exactly me. So it's very accurate. And both of those tests or processes, don't like the word test too much, stay with you for the rest of your life. It's not something that changes like personality. So you do those two, which will probably cost you $50. Then you go through a process where I always, though in a workplace, what do you always do? What do you, what's your first instinct? You know, I always want to help others. I always want to take charge. I always want to find where the faults are. Whatever it is you always do, Next part, step four, is you classify activities you do. You might run meetings, you might do administration, you might have creativity sessions, and you score yourself. So you're either below average, average, great, or excellent. And it's the excellent that you focus on for your unique ability. Next one is talk. You want to get third-party credibility on this. So you ask your friends and family and work colleagues what your unique ability is. The book actually gives you an email to send to them. And so they can give you a response because it's quite interesting what you get back. And they recommend you do it to about eight to 10 people. 
you get a balanced response. And then you combine all those learnings into a sentence or two about yourself. And I have to say, it's not easy. I would say it took me three goes over about six months to get mine right. But once you've done it, you feel, yeah, that's me. And one of the great things about unique ability, it's what you do do, because you want to work in your unique ability, but also as important is what you don't do. So you don't get involved in things that cause you stress that aren't in your unique ability. So I think that's probably enough of the process. Guy, your experience? So a great explanation of you know what you can do to uncover unique ability and and just to start with to kind of reiterate what gary was saying you know i've been on the strategic coach program for probably 14 years now so kind of used and been taught many tools and the unique ability is up there in the top three in my opinion it was a real eye-opener and even though you've probably got a good inkling about what yours is you won't necessarily know exactly and you know if you follow the process in the book or uh, the various coaches that you can use to who help you uncover it. But it, it's a really, really worthwhile exercise. It's, it's, it's like a light bulb moment. You know, once you've got that sentence or two sentences about what your unique ability is, it allows you then to, to start to think about what you should be focusing on. Because if you focus on your unique ability, you'll enjoy what you do. You're going to be good at that as well. You know, because it's your unique ability, you're going to be good at it. You're going to be really efficient. So, you, you know, if you can get to a position as you're growing a business as an entrepreneur and you're working in your unique ability and then you build a team, which is the next the next podcast, actually, we're going to talk about building a team based on your unique ability and their unique abilities, then everybody in your company will be happy in, in the work they're doing and they'll be really good at it, be really efficient at it. And, you know, as long as the idea is good as well, then you've got a really, you know, real winning combination in terms of uh, your organisation. I've done exactly the process that, that Gary described. I'm also fortunate in the fact that I also redid this actually literally 13 years later, this time with a, a very talented coach called Julia Waller. It was, you know, it was a, an eight-hour session and really enjoyable, really tough, mentally tough, but it really dug deep into what I'm good at and what I should be focusing on. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this week on another episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. And this week, Gary and Guy are joined by David Braithwaite, financial planner, speaker, and coach to entrepreneurs within the Strategic Coach Programme. And so David's here to talk today about the importance of coaching. I'm going to hand over to you, Guy, to kick things off. Yeah, thank you, Georgia and David. Welcome and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. No problem at all. Hi, Gary. Hi. Hi, Guy. Hi, David. How are we doing on the cricket, Gary? The IPL, yeah, pretty good. Mark Stoinis has just hit a six. <laughs> For those who know Mark Stoinis, he's not he's an Australian cricketer. <laughs> so Gary, Gary, Gary has um, as well as doing the podcast, he, he always has several other things going on at the same time, just to keep his uh, manic mind not occupied, don't you? I think that's the right word, manic mind. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, listen, we're here today to talk about the importance of coaching. When when I was thinking about the topic, you know, David sprang to mind because he's been both, he has been coached and he, he you know, this is where Gary and I met David actually was on a coaching program called Strategic Coach. You will have heard us mention it about it many times before on the podcast. He's now a coach at Strategic Coach. So I think he's really well placed to, to talk about the various nuances Certainly for me, it took me 
oh, I don't know how many years of, of being in business on, on my own before I actually took, took the plunge. I'm thinking probably six or seven years actually running my own business before I realized that I was putting everyone else before me in terms of coaching and other things, I think. And I wasn't developing myself. I was learning stuff as you go along, but actual formal coaching uh, hadn't done anything. So I got introduced to strategic coach through a friend of mine, Simon Booth. Uh, I went to um, a talk by Pauletta uh, at Mere Golf Club in, in, in Nutsford, and I really got it straight away and I could see how it would help me. So I literally signed up there and then. And, you know, honestly, uh, one of the best things I've ever done really has helped shape my thinking and shape the way that I've run all my businesses and and, and also the way that I, I do things now. Uh, it's had quite, a, you know, an impact on my life. So, you know, from my perspective, I can clearly recommend not just strategic coach, but coaching in general to to everybody here. So yeah, that's me. So David, you know, welcome again. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on on the subject. Similar to you, actually, I was running a business and pottering along quite well. But at the same time, the bigger that you grow, the more frustrated I was becoming because I started up with the business. And, and when you first set something up, I had that excitement, that spark of, wow, I've got my own business and isn't this great? And I'm making my parents proud and here we go. And and then suddenly you start hitting various sort of walls and ceilings and you're, you're getting a bit confused. And to my mind, the way I put it is I lost my mojo. I, I, was, I do financial planning as a living. So I was the person in my financial planning practice that was paying the most out of all of the people that he was looking after into his pension because to me it was my escape. I couldn't wait to stop and retire. And my way around that was pay as much as I can to the pension and I'm done. And that wasn't why I set up in business. I didn't want it for that. I wanted to have all the control. I wanted to have all the time over where I took my free time. I wanted to determine what clients I want to work with, how I want to work with them. And very soon it became a treadmill that was getting faster and faster and faster. So much like you, Guy, I, I came along to a presentation, had a look at it a few times, actually. I didn't just go along the once and sign up like you did. I think I was hanging around. I've actually got a cassette tape, and it's got Dan Sullivan on the back of it with dark hair. So that's how old it is. And it's a proper <laughs> actual cassette. You remember you used to get the C90s? Yeah. It was one of those. Have you actually wow. still got a cassette player to play it on, David? No, that's all long gone, unfortunately. But that was how I found out about the program. And lots of it, I thought, that makes sense. And people around me I knew were doing coaching as well. And it was, maybe I should look at this. And it sort of dawned on me a little bit that when I was never that greatly educated at school, I never did sort of advanced qualifications or university or anything like that. I scraped through and left with very little in terms of qualifications. And I'd got to where I'd got pretty much by accident. And I think a lot of people maybe starting business by accident because they don't fit in where they are and they think they can do it better. So for me, it was about wanting to do it on my own, but it was all those things that don't teach you at school. It was how to run a business. How do you manage a team? How do you grow a business? What happens if this happens? All those sort of questions and the bigger that you get, the more complex and frequent those things crop up. I needed a helping hand, but I think it also takes some bravery to actually step over that threshold and go, yeah, I need some help here. I can't just do it on my own. A lot of people do, but it was I wanted to try and shortcut things. I'm a very quick start type chap, so I, I wanted to get to the solutions really, really quickly. And instead of finding out by making my own mistakes, then why not learn by other people's? 
Andrea, I just wondered if you could summarise or tell me what you think the common traits are for successful entrepreneurs, the ones that you work with. Yeah, definitely. When I'm speaking to the clients, you know, I've worked with a lot of clients within the last 14 years. And the main traits that I get most of all is that the biggest one is that they're very comfortable. They come to you, they want they tell you what's going on in the business and in personal lives, and you can talk really open and honestly and quite frank to them to be perfectly honest about what's going on and giving them advice. And they, they really do take it on board. And they tell following up with that, they do take feedback take feedback on board as well so they've had a situation what's going on and they can know what do you think about it I'm always really honest with them as to what I think and they take it to be honest you don't try and make excuses or anything like that they really take it on board you go okay and they try to figure out what they could do differently I have a willingness to learn as well like you know, they want to self-develop that's a massive part of it they want to get better not just in business but in their lives as well they're massively given as well so and um, what I've noticed is especially um, in the last last good 10 years is that the clients when they believe in something like coach for example they're your biggest advocate so it's huge like the clients that I have that just support us and like me as a team with referrals or you're bringing people in or thinking you're a right fit for us and they're constantly referring us because they've seen the impact what it's had on other people's lives and they want to make other people's lives better which is really Nice, and they also want strategic countries to succeed as well, which is they've got an actual vested interest in me and the team as well. And I'd say as well that they're very goal orientated, they're super focused, they know what they want to get, and they're properly going for it as well. Brilliant, thank you. It's interesting, isn't it, that we talked in the first podcast about the podcast last week about some of the characteristics that that they have and how that mindset is very much matched to to yours and your approach. And I, I loved when we had our pre chat about some of the examples and the ways of working that seem to be really unique. I hadn't heard of them before. I just wondered if you could talk us through some of those, and then maybe Guy, you could tell us some of your favourite or how they benefited you practically. Yeah. So do you mean like the tools? Yeah. 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 So I think the biggest one, especially in the first year, what has the biggest impact on client on our clients is and um, not on the entrepreneurs, is the time system. So we go away from, you know, your days and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Your days are now broken into three different types of days. So your days are the first one is a free day. So this is 24 hours, purely free day. So you can't be looking at your emails. We're really, really strict on it as well. And I think guys laughing at me. What I am is I'm just so I had a conversation with client recently. He said, well, I'm going to do a bit of work in the morning and then I'm going to go on a free day. I'm like, right now it's a buffer day. And he's like, if you see me, I'm like, it's a buffer day. I'm like, as soon as you start doing something to do with work, forget about it. It is a buffer day. Like guy right now, he's in a beat there. This is either a focus or a book predictable, or it is no longer a free day, which it is. So it's the three days, 24 hours of pure rejuvenation. And it's so, so important that an entrepreneur has to re- rejuvenation and for them 24 hours, even longer. It needs to be longer, but we can start off with 24 hours because there's no hooks into the business. And the next one is a focus day. So a focus day is all about money. So this is what are your really making activities that make you make you the income and it's being really specific about it, looking at your activities and going, what are my really making activities? What is it drives and revenue? So we would then class that as a focus day. And then the third day is a buffer day. So buffer day is a lot of time is you're prepping your focus day and um, it can be your emails, doing with team issues and things like that. But what we've noticed is if an entrepreneur takes all this time system, and this is massive and it's really hard to do. It's not easy. I'm not going to say it's easy, but if you actually do it, 
what we say is within the first two or three years of doing it, you'll either, you'll more likely double your income and you'll take off like, you're t- taking off a hell of a lot more time because your days aren't mushed in into just different days and they're really segregated and really, you know, you're focusing on what you're supposed to be focusing on that day. So I'd say that really is the biggest one. You, you become far more efficient, Andrea, don't you? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I get that. And I do remember when, just on this one, when, when I first, it was either the first day or the, the second day of the program that it was introduced. And I, you know, someone's standing there saying that we're going to double your income and we're going to make you take more time off than you've ever taken off before. It goes against the grain on everything that you've understood about business up to that point. Particularly when I was younger and, na- you know, naive and, uh, you know, it took me some time. And a lot of the concepts, actually, when someone first t- tells you what they are, you go, no, can't be done. And then lo and behold, three months later, you're doing it and it's working and it changes the way you run your business and changes actually not just your business life, your personal life. Yeah. I'd say another one, which Guy brought up last time, which is so interesting, is positive focus. And um, this is a really simple concept, but it's so effective. And it's like at the beginning of every single workshop, and to be perfectly honest, every Company meeting I go in, every meeting I go with regards to strategic country has to start on positive focus because it takes the, it takes the meeting to a whole different level. It's not where people change their mindset when they're going in. So it's really important to do. And I've had so many entrepreneurs walk into my room and go, and like, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And they're like, right, okay, well, let's just get your first, 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 then breathe the first hour. Let's get you breathe that. And I can't tell you how many people come back to me after the First time, do the positive focus, reflecting back on the top five things that they've achieved over that quarter and go, that's me for the day, I'm fine. Because they beat themselves up so much about what they're supposed to be doing because they're so goal-oriented, so focused and so on to the next thing. They forget actually and where they've, where they've actually been over the last 90 days. They're living in the gap, Andrew, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and that's another answer big word about us, the gap. See, see how I lined that one up for you? Yeah. I feel like that. I mean, there is so many different ways. If, you know, I would say like our program is very structured within the first three years. And there's a very important sequence of how we do it. And it's very, very effective. Then after the three years, you go into the master's workshops. And that's very much about, it, it's different. It's about seeing what's going on in the mode, you know, what's going on right there. And we really do adapt to it. Got Ross and Guy here, so I thought it would be useful in the first instance, Ross, if you could just maybe introduce yourself, tell us what you're here in capacity as and, and what your experience is so far, and particularly with Pitch Decks. Yes, Nari, and uh, welcome everyone. So yes, my name's Ross Faith. I'm here as part of the EH team as a Dementor, which is a lovely title the team have given me. I'd like to probably explain a little bit more in terms of what it means. My experience to date has been involved in PLCs, small limited companies, large limited companies, startups, an array of quite different types of businesses in different sectors. And as part of the EDH team, I bring to it an assessment of having created business plans and investment decks. I've also done a number of negotiations for businesses to secure finance. And, and discussions to ensure the survival of those businesses for the future. So quite a varied role, really, Nari, in terms of I, I bring to this team and uh, hopefully really to bring to the users of this call to, to understand what I can help and in the particular the pitch decks and the, what I look out for and how important they are. Brilliant. Thank you. So Dementor is not as menacing as it sounds then, is it, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> and Guy, Hi. <laughs> 
Hi, hi, Mary. Hi, Ross. Yeah, I am slightly disappointed that we're not going to see you suck the life out of, of people maybe on the podcast or I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> now that we've established actually what you do, one of you, the things that you're going to be doing for, for EHE is uh, assessing pitch steps. And we you, you've come in as to specifically look at that and then from that determine, along with other information, whether the applicant, the entrepreneur that's applying for the funding has got everything they need to take the funding to to investors. So a uh, really relevant conversation today. And it is. It's, it's probably an area that I think a lot of people probably are quite scared of, if I'm going to be quite honest. The pitch decks probably bamboozle a lot of people and think, oh no, it's all about loads and loads of numbers and I'm going to get pulled apart and, and there's a lot of hard effort that goes into pitch decks. I think from my experience on the internet, there's loads of numerous versions out there and some of those versions can, can cover the need for, for pitch decks, whether they are for investment purposes, purely finance, business focus, tech, startup, keynotes. They, they, they have lots of purposes, but I think the one thing that I hope we will try and bring out in terms of the basics in this session. Is just what is the importance of pitch decks. And the way that I've always used pitch decks in the past is that it's an important part of what I refer to as a five-stage process and the way I've evaluated and supported investors looking at people's businesses. So clearly you have like the initial application that somebody would come along and, and talk about a business and and that's like a sweetener to it. But then debt is so important to actually go into a bit of micro detail, but not too much because it needs to be pitched at the right level for me. And then the other phase is clearly, of course, is then moving towards getting, getting that security of a deal and the support but from an investor to, to make sure that the business is successful in the future. So pitch decks are, are, are very important. I think one of the, the, the things that people struggle with is understanding how much detail to put into these things. You alluded to that just a second ago. And do you try to squeeze everything into a pitch deck and then you can, whether you're talking to the investor and presenting to them or whether the investor's just looking at it in isolation without any kind of verbal communication, you kind of, you've got everything in there. But there again, you don't want to overface the pitch deck because investors have probably got short attention spans and you know you want to get your message across quickly. So it's a tricky balance, I think, isn't it, Ross? It is. And, and, and that's a very, very good point, Guy, that what I've always found is the simpler, the better, the briefer, the better. And the one thing I think people do fail upon is trying to put too much in and probably not keep basically highlighting the salient points, which captures the imagination of, of an investor in what the entrepreneur or the person seeking investment in their company is after. So pitching it is very key. So there's definitely a, a few principles I've always looked at, which is keeping it simple, most definitely. The briefer, the better, and and the what I call less use of jargon. And that's one other area that uh, I find that if people use lots of acronyms, and, and I think we've all probably got that in our world, that you spend too much time trying to understand an acronym, but actually not understanding what's being given to you in terms of your proposition. But you're quite right. Pitching it is, is at the right level. But I've always firmly believed less is more, but whet the appetite to make sure that you're interested somebody in something, and then you can explore it further. But it's got to be pitched at the right level that makes it interesting to explore further. Do you know what I mean in terms of that, that level? 
this week, while Guy is still in Ibiza, Gary is joined by Richard Whitwell of LDC, the largest mid-market private equity house in the UK. Now, Richard is fascinating because he looks after the Midlands team, which accounts for about half of the up to 90 businesses that LDC can have in their portfolio at any one time. So today, Richard is going to be sharing some of his investor experience with us, which I'm really looking forward to. And I'm going to hand over to Gary to take it away. Thank you, Georgia. Well, welcome, Rich. I think we should start off with sort of giving an idea of how many businesses you look at on an annual basis and how many you invest in. I think Georgia's given a bit of insight there, but just useful to get a feel for how many you look at. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Gary. I work for one of the sort of biggest mid-market private equity companies in the UK, um, the, the, the private equity arm of Lloyd's. We invest in, in about 20 or 25 businesses each year, uh, and our portfolio of sort of to nine businesses at any one time. What does that mean in terms of how many entrepreneurs that we um, that we meet in any one time? The team I look after, which which covers the the Midlands patch for for LDC, we probably look at somewhere north of two hundred businesses or two hundred investment opportunities each year, and and we invest in a in a handful of those over the wow. course of okay. the last ten years or so. I guess you know I've looked at probably over a thousand businesses actually, or a thousand entrepreneurs actually. Not so much businesses, it, it, you know, during that in that sort of time frame. If that helps, but it's it's, it's very difficult to know because it's obviously part of our what we do every day and every every week sort of thing. No, I think that's a really good sort of backstop because clearly you've you've got a hell of a lot of experience there, and I know you work for other private equity companies as well. So the help bit would be. What advice would you give entrepreneurs when they're looking for high growth capital, particularly from private equity companies? Have you got any little gems that you sort of repeatedly come across that would that would help prospective entrepreneurs? Really, the first thing to do is not is people shouldn't be at all afraid of private equity because that is, you know, partnering with the right private equity partner, if you like, and I use the word partner carefully. There, you know, it has been a has been a really sort of well proven method to help. You know, already successful businesses grow, but grow you know more quickly and create significant value. So I think the first thing is not to be not to be overly concerned by tapping into the network that certainly certainly the likes of LDC have. That can be very helpful in unlocking new routes to growth, or new ideas, or, or people with different experiences, if you like, or possibly possibly expansion by acquisition or even internationally. The number one issue we look for, I think, when we're looking at an entrepreneur in particular is, is passion and ambition and, and, a, and a well thought through growth story. Every business that we invest in needs to have a growth story. That's super important, but clearly articulating what, you know, what, what, where the growth story will be delivered, how it will be delivered and why a particular entrepreneur or the management team that you're looking at are, are capable of doing that is, is really, really important, I think, Gary. So it's particularly, you know, that's that's interesting because often people think about numbers when they think about private equity and investments, et cetera. But the number one and two you look for is that passion and the ambition to grow. They're the two yeah, things we, that I've taken from you. I think so, yeah. I, I think we, we, we look more, we do look at the numbers uh, and, and you'd expect us to because we're in a financial organisation. Yeah. Plenty of people that work within the private equity industry generally and, and LDC for sure, who who do understand numbers and we'll look at the numbers at some point. But that, that's not where we start. We 
certainly at LDC, and not, not every private equity firm takes this stance, in sort of horse racing parlance, we, we back the jockey, not the horse. So we're always looking, the, the number one issue for us is to try and back the right management team. Because you know the, the view we've taken and, and, and uh, you know, having backed, as I say, over 600 companies in you know, over 40 years, is that a good management team, you know, keep you on the straight and narrow when times get tough and they will manage out difficult situations. And, um, and, and it's more important getting the management team right than, than anything else in our view. That's good. I agree. I think it's, that's absolutely the number one to look for. Uh, is there a number two behind that, Rich? Or I think we start with the management team, but then uh, you know, very quickly, and, and most entrepreneurs want to get onto this, is actually then our, you know, working out what their particular business model is so i think clearly articulating what the business model is why, why the business is, is in a good position why it's well positioned for growth and why they're well positioned to help that business grow all of those things come into it so and, and there's there's such a, a wide range of different types of businesses sectors business models that there's no there's then no one size fits all but we, we generally start with 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 a management team and then there's all sorts of things that flow from that in terms of you know what their track record is in previous businesses. You know how, yeah. how they, you know what's what's gone on historically. For like how they've managed the current business situation to get to to, to, to where it's at. Why it is there's a, a moment to have a deal right now. So there's a whole raft of issues around the sort of deal dynamics. Yes, yes. Um, which we, we definitely start with. We, we we certainly start front and squarely with 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 the management team. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital, for further insights and to join the EHE community.